My name is Alan Carr. I'm pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Lenore, North Carolina. Thank you for visiting our webpage and for taking the time to listen to one of our sermons. We hope this sermon, which was preached in our pulpit, will be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and help you grow in your understanding of God's Word. God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of the Word of God. As we move into James chapter 3, fair warning, this is a passage about the proper usage of our tongues, our speech. And this morning we're going to consider the first two verses by by the Lord's help. If we have time, we'll see what we get done. But I want to talk to you about a warning to those who talk. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? That's all of us. But primarily this passage, the first two verses, speak to those people who are teachers and preachers, those who teach the Word, those who preach the Word, but it has application to everybody who speaks for God on any level, even if it's just a witnessing to a co-worker or a mother telling her children about Jesus. It's about how we use our speech to honor God, how we teach the truth. So this morning, let's... Look at James chapter 3. We'll read the first two verses and uh, cover as much as we can there. If you have your Bible and you're able, James chapter 3, verse number 1. James says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Stop there, you can be seated. Teaching is a noble pursuit. Thank God for good, godly teachers. Sharing your knowledge with others is a powerful way to help shape the future couple quick quotes about teaching. A fellow by the name of Henry Brooke Adams, he said this, a teacher affects eternity. He can never tell where his influence stops. Isn't that true? Those who teach have the power to shape people's lives and have the power on some level to influence their eternity. Another individual, a lady, I can't even try to pronounce the last name, She said, let us remember, one book, one pen, one child, one teacher can change the world. That's true. I mean, I've had teachers that affected me in great ways. I think in the past I've shared with you about my ninth grade teacher, a guy by the name of Sid Johnston. In case you don't remember, I'll refresh you with that little anecdote from my inglorious past. Mr. Johnston was my ninth grade teacher. He was a big, imposing man. He would stand before us, and he spoke with authority, and he expected us to honor his authority and do what he said to do. On one occasion, Mr. Johnson assigned us to write a paper. This paper was to be on a certain topic of a certain length. It was due on a certain day. And he said if we did not do the assignment, that we would be paddled. Yes, they used to do that in school, brother. Wouldn't it be a blessing if they still could? And he promised to paddle us. And so the day the paper was due arrived, and myself and along with two other young men, we did not do the assignment. 
Well, Mr. Johnston, true to his word, he told us to go wait in the hall. And so we waited in the hall, and in a moment Mr. Johnston appeared, and he had the Board of Education with him. And that was a fearsome weapon. In my mind, it was a weapon. And I dreaded my appointment with that paddle. And so we stood there, and he began to deliver our sentences. He paddled the first boy in line there, and he sent him back into the class. Then he paddled the second boy, and he sent him back into the class. Then it was just me and Mr. Johnston standing out in the hallway. It's my turn. But you know, Mr. Johnston, he looked me in the eyes, and he said to me, he said, you are capable of being better than you are. Then he took his left foot, crossed it across his right knee, and he paddled his shoe sole. To everybody else in the class, it sounded like I was receiving judgment. But Mr. Johnston didn't punish me that day. He did something far, far more important. He taught me. He taught me a lesson. Now, I didn't become a better student that day. I still did just enough to get by. It wasn't because I couldn't. It's because I just wanted to get through school and get on with my life. I didn't really care about grades at that point in time. But every time I would kind of slack up in a class and make a bad grade or not do my best, I always heard those words in my head, you are capable of being better than you are. And I'll be honest with you, all these years later, 41 years later, any time I do less than my best, I still hear Sid Johnson in my head saying, you are capable of being better than you are. He taught me something that day, and that lesson didn't take hold right then at 14, but over the years it has come to be an integral part of my education. Mr. Johnston made a difference in my life on that day, and he still makes a difference in my life today. That's the power of a teacher. A teacher has the power to influence lives either positively or negatively depending upon how they teach. On the positive side, there's a lady with some of you, whose name some of you may be familiar with. Her name was Henrietta Mears. And she taught Sunday school and she helped develop a Sunday school class at Hollywood Presbyterian Church back in the 1940s and 50s. That class got up into the 4,000s and that was an unheard of number in that day. And she went on throughout her lifetime to write many books and help develop a publishing house to publish good quality Sunday school material. And to, after her death, at least 400 people could trace their call into full-time ministry, pastors, missionaries, whatever, directly to the teaching of Henrietta Mears. On the other side, you got somebody like Jim Jones, and Jim Jones was a masterful orator, had great charisma, and he was a teacher, but he so twisted the gospel of Jesus Christ that he led 900 men, women, and children to commit suicide in South America. That's the power of a teacher. One had the power to influence positively, and the other had the power to influence negatively. And the fact is, a teacher has tremendous influence in the lives of his or her students. Whether it's in a public school classroom, a Sunday school class, a college class, a church worship setting, vacation, Bible school, youth ministry, or anywhere else, even the personal influence a parent has over their children, teachers, have power. Because teachers, students rather, listen to what their teachers say, and they watch how their teachers live. 
and they learn from what they hear and see in the lives of their teachers. One fellow said this, he said, we must realize what power teachers have at crucial times in tender lives to crush the bloom or make it eternally flower. Isn't that true? And James opens this third chapter by talking to those who teach in the church, primarily those who are pastors and those who are teachers in the ministry. But again, it has application to all of us who teach the Word of God on any level because teachers and preachers in the church, we have the power to influence people positively for Jesus Christ or we have the power to influence them very negatively against Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you this morning about a warning to those who talk, and I want to show you some of the ways that James challenges those of us who have been given the privilege of teaching the Word of God, both at home and at church and in other settings. But this is a word to us. Now let's dig into this passage. This isn't going to be earth-shaking stuff, I promise you that. But I hope it's going to be challenging. Notice first in verse 1 how we are counseled. James says, My brethren, be not many masters. Now, let me just kind of preface this by saying, James has been dealing with a, he's been dealing with faith and works. For the last few weeks we've been in chapter 2, he's been talking about dead faith, he's talking about living faith, been talking about a works-based religion, all those things, we've been dealing with all of that. Now all of a sudden James changes gears and he moves from works and faith into this idea of speech and the proper use of the tongue. And it may seem like that James is just kind of jumping from topic to topic here with no logical order, but there is a logic to how James organizes his thinking. I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, James said this, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In those two verses, James gives us an outline for the rest of his book. In verse 26 there, he deals with the tongue. Then in verse 27, he talks about doing good for others. Then again in verse 27, he talks about holiness. When you come to chapter 2, James deals with his second topic first. He talks about this matter of true faith. And he tells us that genuine faith always manifests itself in godly action. Now, as I've reflected over the last three or four weeks of preaching, I came away wondering if somebody may have left here with some type of misunderstanding in their mind. And lest there be any misunderstanding in anybody's mind about anything I've said the last month out of James chapter 2, let me dispel it right now. We are saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. Our works can never save us. Our works can never make us good enough They cannot make us right with God. Salvation comes to those who believe the gospel, period. That's how that works. What James was teaching us, and again, that's what the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It is a belief. Faith faith is not works at all. It's simply faith in Christ, believing He died for our sins, 
and rose again from the dead, and when we put our faith in Him, God saves us on the basis of what Jesus did. Again, Paul said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what he's telling us. But James's whole point in chapter 2 is that if our faith really is in Christ, then our faith will prove it is real by how it works, okay? Don't anybody misunderstand anything I've said. I'm not telling you to look at your fruit and judge whether you're saved or not by what you do or don't do. What I'm trying to tell you through all of this preaching is to put your eyes on Jesus. Get hung up on Him. Love Him and live for Him and be obedient to Him. And if your faith is in Him and His life is in you, then good works are going to take care of themselves. So in chapter 2, James deals with that second topic first, doing good works. Then in chapter 3, he comes back to his first topic, which is proper use of the tongue. So with that in mind, we know where we're at now. Let's kind of look at this. As James begins his thoughts there in verse 1, he does so by counseling his readers to be not many masters. The word master there means teacher, and James is referring specifically to those who teach the Word of God. So he's talking to pastors and preachers and missionaries and evangelists and Sunday school teachers and VBS workers and youth leaders and parents who teach their kids about God, people who share the gospel with their friends. It applies to everybody who takes up the truth and teaches it to somebody else. If I make a Facebook post about Jesus or the church or the gospel, hey, it falls under this provision. If I post something on Twitter or send out an email or some other type of social media, any context you can imagine, anybody who shares the Word of God falls under this principle of being careful about being a teacher. And in simple language, James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. That's what he's saying. Not many of you should become teachers. Now, I think what James is doing here is dealing with a problem that had arisen in the early church. Most of James's readers came from a Jewish background. They had been Jews before they met Christ. And they came from a culture in which the rabbi or the teacher was held in high esteem. In fact, the word rabbi means my great one. And they were held in such high esteem in Jewish culture that it was taught that you had a duty to help your rabbi before you even help your parents. Your duty to your rabbi exceeded that of your parents. In fact, one writer went to the extreme to say that if the enemy came in and invaded your town and your parents were taken captive along with your rabbi, that you had an obligation to ransom the rabbi first. So that's how deep their respect while their teachers went in Judaism. And when these Jews got saved and they came into the church, that same respect was transferred to the teachers in the early church. So the position of teacher became one of great respect and immense authority. used to be that way in, in, in churches like ours, but that has somehow fallen by the wayside anymore. That may be good or bad, depending upon how you look at it. But a lot of teachers commanded great respect 
and they had great authority in the lives of the people. Now what was happening is some people were taking advantage of the church. They were using their teaching positions to gain control over others, and in many cases to make themselves wealthy by taking from the people of God. And by the way, that still happens today. When you turn on the television and the TV preacher tells you that God told him to buy an $85 million jet airplane and that you need to contribute to that, that's exactly what you see happening. There's somebody who does not belong in that position. When you have people who are using their position to get wealthy off God's people, something is wrong, something is wrong with that. And James is combating this tendency for people to desire to be teachers so they could have this respect and position and power in the church. Fact is, some people just want to be seen and heard. Some people like others to pay attention to what they say. And people, some people just want to get their ideas out, and they want everybody to listen to them, and they want the respect which comes along with being thought of as a great teacher. Reminds me of what Jesus said about the Pharisees. How they did all these things to be seen of others. And down at the last of that quote, he said, and greetings in the marketplace, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They loved their position, and they loved the respect that it brought them from other people. They did what they did for their own glory, and James said, you shouldn't all be teachers. Now, in the Jewish synagogues, anybody, any man could stand up and speak. Anybody. didn't matter who you were. They could stand up and declare their mind, and that opened the door for people to, well, to offer their opinions who were not gifted to teach. And sometimes what they taught in that context was mediocre at best, and sometimes it was very, very, very bad. But again, that tradition followed the early Christians into the church. And as a result, some people were standing up and they were talking about doctrine and about the things of God and those people had no business teaching whatsoever. Maybe they wanted power. Maybe they wanted position or prestige or the applause of men or whatever it was, but they talked when they should have been listening and when they should have been learning. And so with this problem in mind, James tells us, that we should not all strive to be teachers. Now listen, James is not discouraging people from becoming teachers of the Word. But he is trying to remind us that teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, it is serious business and it should not be undertaken lightly. That's his point. No one should teach or preach without a sense of the seriousness and responsibility which comes with the office. That's why nobody should take it upon themselves to appoint themselves a teacher or a preacher of biblical truth. It ought to only be done after much contemplation and much prayer and under the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit. A preacher must be called and gifted to preach. And a teacher must be gifted to teach. There's a difference in a teacher and a preacher, but both need the gift to do what they do. If you're not called, you should not be preaching. And if you're not gifted to teach, you really should not be teaching. Right? To sin with our words 
is bad enough. When we're talking to one or two people or to a handful, right? That's bad enough. But to sin with our tongue in a public setting while we claim to be speaking for God is immeasurably worse. We have to be careful that we don't use the position of preacher and teacher to just get out our opinions without having God behind what we say. Because I think speaking for God carries great responsibility. And it carries tremendous implications both for both good and for evil. One pastor said this, and I'm going to read this quote to you because it's so good. He says, there's no special honor in preaching. There's only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time and to know each time you do it, that you must do it again. And that's the truth. And what he said about preaching is also true about teaching. Anytime we open the Word of God in a position of authority and we teach the truths of God, there better be an investment of self that feels like, well, I would suggest that you're giving your life at that moment in time. You're pouring yourself out with all you have to teach the truth of it. And when you finish, you wonder how you're ever going to be able to do it again, but you know you have to. You know you have to. All James is saying is be sure that God has put you in this. If you're supposed to be teaching, then teach on, my brother, my sister. If you're supposed to be preaching, preach on, my brother. But if you are not, let somebody else do it. Because not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. I go to churches and you go in there and uh, there'll be, well, maybe a church of, say, a hundred people. And they got seven or eight preacher boys in there. And I think that's nice. I think that's good. But I wonder how many of those guys are doing it because their friends are doing it. And how many are doing it because God called them to do it? you got to be sure that God's called you to do it. I will promise you this. If God hadn't called me to preach, I wouldn't have stuck with this for 30 plus years. There's a whole lot easier ways to make a living. A whole lot easier way to provide for your family and actually have time for your family than to do what this job is. It's not easy. And if I wasn't called to it, I'd quit tomorrow. And that's a fact. But I know when I get done right now in a minute and I get done, i got to get up the night and do it again. And i got to get up Wednesday and do it again. And I do it over and over and over again. Why? Because like that writer said, I'm compelled to it like the sea draws a sailor. I know it's going to be hard. I know there's going to be preparation. I know there's going to be prayer. I know that when I stand up here, I'm going to have to bear my soul and pour myself out. And it's going to hurt at times. And I'm going to leave here physically and mentally drained. But there's still going to be a pull to get back up and do it again. Isn't that right, Brother Jim? And you can't explain that. 
That's just something God puts in you. And some of you feel that way about your Sunday school class, don't you? You get in there with those kids and you wonder why in heaven's name am I doing this for the 23rd, 24th year? Why do I just keep doing this? I know, Brother Brian, you wonder why do I go back in that classroom? You're not teaching the things of God there, but you are a witness for God. And you know how hard that is and how draining that is, but God's put that in you and you do it because that's who you are. You teachers go into your Sunday school class and you keep going week after week and year after year. Why? Because God has put that in your heart. And you're always judging yourself and you're saying, I'm not good at this and somebody could do it better. But when it comes time for Sunday school, there you are and you're wrangling those kids again and you're doing your best. Why? Because God put that in you. And you're the ones who ought to be doing it. But those of you who don't pray and those of you who don't study and those of you who don't care what you say and don't care how the class goes and don't care how well you do and never have a burden, you're probably the ones who ought to quit. Really. That's not being harsh. That's just telling the truth. Not many of us should be preachers. Not many of us should be teachers. Huh? I remember a couple years ago, we had a boy come through school, and he made it about the middle part of his second year. And he came to me one day, and he said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So we stepped off down the hall, just me and him, and he said, I don't think God's called me to preach. He said, what should I do? I said, stop preaching. I said, y'all not preach anymore. I said, you ought to go talk to your pastor you ought to go talk to Pastor Lockie. You ought to tell him and just go ahead and get about your life and stop preaching. That's my advice. He quit school that day and I ain't seen him since. He's still in church, but I guarantee you he's a happier man. He told me the only reason he was preaching is because he felt like it's what his father-in-law wanted him to do. His father-in-law's a pastor, and father-in-law's got about nine kids. He married one of those girls, and every kind of pressure in this boy, saying, you'd make a great preacher. We think God may be calling you to preach. Well, what they think and what God's really doing is two different things. So my advice would just quit. Last I heard, he was doing well. Maybe bad advice, I don't know. If you're not supposed to be doing it, you ought not be doing it. That's the bottom line. So that's James's counsel. Not all of us should be teachers. Not everybody is gifted to do that. Not everybody has been called to pastor. Not everybody has been called to teach. But I want to add this to you. Not everybody's been called to do that in the public sense, okay? As far as getting up in a church and preaching a sermon or getting in a class and teaching a lesson. I mean, my goodness, some people have a hard time even teaching a Sunday school class for five nights a year. You know, it's hard. It just doesn't come naturally to you. I know my wife said, well, Joan has a hard time teaching. It's just not something that comes naturally to her. She can do it, but she's just not natural at it yet. I'm praying she's still young. Huh? But some of you have a hard time doing that, don't you? But at the same time, you're still a teacher. You've got children. You've got grandchildren. You've got co-workers and you have the opportunity to share the word of God and to share your witness with them and sometimes that's hard for you isn't it when your children ask you questions about the Bible you have a hard time with that what do I say 
When that coworker asks you about your faith, you have a hard time with that. In that context, you should accept that role of teacher. You should try to answer that child's question. You should try to point that coworker to Jesus. You should help them find the answers. And even if you're not the one who's able to teach them, you can at least facilitate them learning by pointing them to somebody who can help them. That's what you do. And so you ought to embrace that role. But James's point is that in the church, in the public setting, not everybody's supposed to do it. Right? Thank God for those who can. That's a blessing. But not everybody is supposed to. So don't do it if you're not supposed to. And don't beat yourself up if you can't do it. But pray for those who can. And then in those positions where you do get to have some influence and you do get to share and you do get to bring somebody along step by step, jump into that with both feet. And guide people and teach them and show them the truth. You can at least tell them your story. You can at least tell them what God's done in you. Now, I had hoped to get further with that today, but I'm not going to. I'm going to quit right there. They said, Preacher, that's crazy. I know. Welcome to Calvary. That's all I can tell you. I just preach to run out of time and quit. Because none of these have an expiration date on, just so you know. It'll still be about as stale next Sunday as it is today. So come on back. We'll crack it open and go again. Amen. Now, what I want us to do today, it's kind of unusual, just a kind of a weird, weird little message at sermonette this morning. I want us to pray. Now, altars are going to be open. All altars are always open. You need to come. You, you can come. My goodness, you just make your way down here. Somebody will pray with you. We'll be glad to help you. But I just want us to pray for our teachers. I, you're in a Sunday school class. I want you to pray for your Sunday school teachers. Some of you children right now, listen to me, kids. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for your teachers. Adults, pray for your teachers. Let's pray for them. And let's pray God will raise up teachers for our next generation. The next generation of Sunday school teachers are sitting in these pews right now. They're here. Teachers and preachers. We've got to identify that. We've got to help train them. We've got to pray for them. We've got to nurture them so that when God enables them to do that, they're ready to step in and do it. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for the Word of God. You have been listening to a sermon from Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for taking the time to visit our webpage today and to listen to our sermon. Please check back often for new content. We'd love to have you visit with us at Calvary Baptist Church. The church is located at 1369 Blowing Rock Boulevard Northwest in Lenore, North Carolina. Our Sunday morning worship begins at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night at 7 p.m and you would be welcome at any of our services. Thanks again for listening, and may the Lord bless you is our prayer.